0: You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, If you guys can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read this chapter before Andy comes up and give us the message. Let me know if you guys are there. Okay, Ephesians is after the Gospels, Acts, Romans... Galatians, Ephesians, right? The title on this one is unity in the body as well as uh, living as Christians of light. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, I think we're there. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through, uh, through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given to us, Christ has apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and give, gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower, earthly regions he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe it was he who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare god's work to prepare god's people for works of service so that the holy so that the body of christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of god and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind and teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Verse 17 says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they had given themselves over sensuality so as to in indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you have heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in a true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put on, put off, excuse me, put off falsehood, and speak truthfully to his neighbors. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. For he who had been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up in accordance with their needs, that is, they, that, that it, they may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Can you guys hear me? Technology is a challenge because I'm over 30.
1: <laughs> but I got the mic turned on. It's a good start, right? Yeah. So it's great to see everybody this morning. Um, I'm really happy to be able to speak to you. Uh, as you know, Brian's uh, away this week on vacation, a regular uh, uh, preacher. Um, but he asked me to speak on this chapter, and it's really cool because I love this chapter. In fact, this whole book has been a great study. Um, we're continuing this uh, Get our slides up there. Think. Oh, I've got the clicker right. That's me. Yeah. See, I told you. There's an on button. There we go. Thank you. I may call for help if I need it. Fidel, stay, stay sharp over there. All right. So we're continuing the study in the book of Ephesians. Uh, if you're, if you're, you know, you haven't been here the last few weeks or you're not familiar with the book, the book of Ephesians is a book that Paul wrote to uh, a church in the, in the city of Ephesus, which was historically a very prominent city in the Roman world, a very uh, pluralistic uh, urban city uh, in terms of old world cities and how they, how they go. Uh, not a lot of, uh, move that, thank you. I need a lot of helpers up here, So. Um, not, not, not a city with a lot of history of kind of Judaic uh, values and understanding of God. And so Paul's writing to this very, very Gentile and, and very worldly, uh, the, the Christians in this very Gentile and worldly city. Um, and so he's, he's, he's not really addressing any particular problem, but he is trying to give this general letter of encouragement to this city, uh, this church that he started uh, several years before and had been away from now for several years. Uh, so he's looking to help them grow in their faith. And I, I love what Paul is trying to tell uh, the church here, because Paul spends the first half of the book, the, last three, the first three chapters, uh, the last several weeks of our sermon series have been all about what God has done for the Christians all about what he's done for them, how he's changed them, how he's made them into this, this new humanity, this new vision of people, of what he wants people to be. And, of course, led the way by the, the ultimate human, Jesus, who came and made it all possible. Um, but he, he really spends goes into depth, I really want you to understand how deeply God loves you, how much he desires you, how sure your salvation is, He wants you to know that. He wants them to understand that. And he wants them to understand that because he wants them to grow, because it's not just enough to know that. God wants us to do something with that in our world. We're supposed to make a difference here. I love this picture of this tree. It's it's a little washed out here on the screen, but this picture, you see the tree growing above, and you see all the roots growing underneath. And that's how we have to grow. We can't just grow up and do greater things and bigger things and take on more without growing deeper and getting more rooted. Right you know, what happens? Sorry? sorry great right analogy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm not used to, you know, doing this, so thank you. <laughs> I'll try not to freak out if you say amen, okay, so. Uh, uh, thank you, yeah, sunburn sunburn's coming back all of a sudden, so, um, but you know, we, we, what happens without roots? That tree topples in the wind, right? And sometimes we can get too focused on the roots, on going deeper. We're kind of hiding down in the ground and saying, oh, I'm going deeper in my relationship with God, but we're not really growing on the top. We're not changing. We're not influencing our community. We're not being the light on the hill that we're meant to be. And so I love this picture because it, it talks about how we're to do both, and this is how we're to grow. Um... So let's move in to, did I do it? Oh, I went too far. Is that it? There's two pictures up here. It's very confusing, but that's the girl and that's the next one. Okay, I got it. So like I said, Paul pivots in this chapter. He pivots away from everything that God has done for them. And we'll talk about that in a second. And he pivots to, here's how we respond to it. And how people have been responding to God over the centuries is there's a huge spectrum, right? There's people who reject God altogether. There's people who claim God but don't really understand God. And so they use God for all kinds of bad reasons to justify their behavior, to conquer kingdoms in some cases, to oppress other people in cases. And and Paul says, I want you to understand God so you can have the right response. Therefore, he starts off this chapter, therefore, I want you to understand what all that first three chapters are there for. Paul's going to say some stuff here. Now, the first three chapters have been really nice, really encouraging. But he's going to start saying some stuff here. He starts off with, I urge you. I urge you. And he's going to get to where he says, I insist on this. And he's going to tell us to stop doing certain things and start doing other things. And, you know, some of us really like the first three chapters because they're so encouraging. Yes. And then you get to these chapters and you're like, hey, wait a second. He's telling me how to live. He's telling me I've got to change my behavior. Yeah. This is the thou shalt and the thou shalt not part of the Bible. I don't really like that. Can we go back to the Psalms? I like the Psalms. The Psalms are nice. <laughs> but we've got to take it all, right? We've got to remember that that, that therefore is there for a reason that God has done all this for us so that we can move on. Christianity can have a bad reputation, can it? Because sometimes Christians or people who think they're Christians get all wrapped up around the thou shalt"s and the thou shalt nots. And it becomes this battle for behavior modification. I want to change you. You need to change. You need to be different. You're sinning. Right? And, and, and we get focused on this behavior issue and how we are and whether we're good enough and whether we're, we're offending somebody with how we are. And we get all wrapped up around the axle on that. And so Christianity can get this bad reputation of you know, thunder and lightning bolts coming from the pulpit and blasting people who aren't living up to the standards. And God says, that's not what it's about. It's about God has made you his children and now he expects you to behave like it. He has created this new humanity, and if you wanna be a part of it, you're free to join or not join, but if you join, this is what the new humanity means. This is what it is, to live in this new community, this community that's gonna make a difference, even in our day and age. I love that song we sang, You know, there's plenty to do in this city, and there's plenty to do right here, in terms of making a difference, influencing the world around us with the values and the morals and the identity we have as Christians. Paul says, I want you to get that. And it's all about who you are. But it's also about how we act and how we live in the world. Oh, hang on. Don't go too fast for me. Here's a big verse. Verse one. Therefore... I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received. I think the NIV says to live a life worthy of the calling you received. If you think about that verse, and you could spend the rest of your life trying to get that verse right, couldn't you? (laughs) I mean, that's a big verse. That's a big ask. But he says, therefore, because of all this stuff, because of how God loves you, because of how he has chosen you, because of how he's redeemed you, because of what he's done for you do what i'm asking you to do he says he's a prisoner for the lord why do you think he mentions that he says it twice actually chapter three starts the same way and he's, it looks like he wanted to say chapter three he wanted to say go into what he's going to say in chapter four and he got distracted by well let me just tell you my ministry and he goes through this list of his ministry and what he's been charged by god to do and how it's in, it's caused him to go into prison because of his faith and what he's teaching in some of the towns that he's teaching in. Um, he says, I'm a prisoner. Why does he mention that? Because even in spite of life circumstances, what he's about to tell us is the way to live. I mean, somebody could challenge Paul and say, well, Paul, what's it done for you? You're in jail. How's that going for you, Paul? <laughs> right? And yet he still says, I know I'm a prisoner, and I would do it all over again. I would live this way all over again. It is absolutely worth it. It is absolutely, in spite of it, I would do it all over again. This is how God wants us to live. This is the new humanity we're to be. This is the new man that God has chosen me to be. And I'm going to live up to that. And so Paul doesn't do any, he doesn't ask us to do anything he's not already done. He's not already led the way in. He also says in chapter, I think it's two or three, he says, I'm in here for you. I'm in jail for you Gentiles. That's why he mentions it. Paul wants these guys to know I'm not just some talking head on the TV screen. I'm not just some letter writer from a foreign country. I love you guys. I'm giving my life so you have an opportunity for salvation. I want you to know that. I want to influence you. I want to get into your hearts. I want, to, I want to get into your emotions. I want to tell you that I would do this all over again because you are worth it to God. And as Christians, sometimes our lives get, we lose track of that part of our mission, don't we? We lose track of the fact that God wants us to give up our own lives for somebody else's life so that people can become Christians, so that people have an opportunity not just to hear the words, but to see a living example of what it means to be a Christian. Far too few examples of good Christians in our world, at least examples that make it to the surface. Paul says, I, I want you to know I am here for you. It is worth it, and that's how our mindset should be. That is what Paul's going to get into here. He says, we have been given so much by God And it's not enough just to say, thank you, amen, I'm going to enjoy this. He says, no, therefore, I want you to live a life worthy of the calling. I want you to go on and be something more than you think you can be. You know, when you talk about living a worthy life, what's worthy? What's worthy? How on earth can we figure out what's worthy? We can, you know, worthy has to do with evaluating something. Is it worth it? And it has to do with making some judgments. Is that worth my effort or my time or my money? Is he worthy of that award? Is he worthy of that accommodation? Is she worthy of that promotion? Have they done enough? And so it's tempting to look at this verse and think it's all about us trying to earn what God's already given us. And so Paul starts the the book with, here's what God's already given you. This is the second shoe to drop. This is not the first shoe. This is not try and earn your way. And Christianity is absolutely distinct among world religions in this. Every world religion is about doing enough, following the rules, being good enough, being a good enough person, you know, to to make it to heaven, right? It's about, in Judaism, it's about doing all the commandments just so, so you can be accepted and be righteous. In Hinduism, it's, It's elevating your mind and getting to that deep spot where you escalate to this higher spiritual plane. But it's about you doing something to get to where God is. In Christianity, God turns the table over. He says, look, I'm going to come to where you are, and I'm just going to make you that. I just decided you get to be my kids. And so the rest of your life is about a response. It's not about earning it. And so then we look at this verse and we go, Walk worthy of the calling. We've already been called. We've already been given so much. God has absolutely changed our identity. We can shoot too high if we are trying to be worthy. We can get self-righteous. We can get legalistic. We can get to be perfectionist. We can get to be where there, nothing is ever good enough. And you start thinking those thoughts and you're trying to live up to what God might expect of you to earn your salvation. And at some point, God gets oppressive and you don't want anything to do with him anymore. And we can shoot too low. We can make too many excuses. We can blow off what we know is right to do. We can make accommodate. God is so accommodating. He just kind of puts up with my junk. He doesn't really expect me to change it. Nobody can really change it and we shoot too low and then God becomes irrelevant and unimportant and we walk away we walk away from God so how do we walk in a manner worthy how do we do this three points oops aiming that way thank you therefore first point is therefore we've talked about this a little bit This is the order. The order is important here. God's already called us. As Christians, God's already saved us. God's already written our names in the book of life. God's already redeemed us. He's already sealed us with the Holy Spirit. The order is important here. We are already this new identity. We are already these new things. Um, Therefore, the order is important. I want to talk a little bit about identity you know, we're in a crisis of identity in our country. Have you noticed that? Um, you know, people are defining themselves with these labels. Right, you're, you're uh, red or you're blue, you're Republican or you're Democrat, or maybe you're independent. You're a vegan or you're a vegetarian, or you're a pescatarian, I think they call it. And I heard a new one, you're a sometimes a which just means you kind of do what you want, but you attach some label to it, right? We can't even decide, some people, if they are men or if they're women. Uh, We are in a crisis of identity uh, as a country, not not as a US identity, not as an American necessarily, But personally, people are in crisis. Who are they? Who am I? You know, we're we're young people asking themselves these questions like, what is this world all about? Who am I? And I think we all grew up with that at some point, especially in our teenage years. But who we are, our identity is getting very cloudy these days. We don't get a lot of reminders of who we are because we're so focused on being individuals. And once you become led by the idea of being an individual, then the idea of where you came from and who you were all kind of dissipates and doesn't really have that much meaning to you anymore. God is dealing with our identity here. He wants us to know who we are. Identity is a tricky thing, right? Because as we grow through life, who we think we are changes, right? Okay, here's the part where I'm going to get vulnerable, which I'm not very good at or comfortable with. Some of us start out knowing we're gonna be engineers. We just, my parents had a very funny sense of humor apparently. My identity was fixed from a young age. You're gonna be an engineer, kid. Your dad was an engineer, his dad was an engineer, you're just gonna be an engineer. So my identity was wrapped up in that. Now it helped that I happened to be good at math, but my identity was wrapped up around that. And then I grow and you go through high school, you know, you, you meet your friends and you kind of pull away from your family identity and your crowd, your high school crowd starts to influence you. And I grew up here in the South Bay and so it was all about the beach and being kind of non-buttoned down and wild and loose and here's the embarrassing one. <laughs> so here I am, high school, here's my identity in high school. I'm like freezy surfer dude, right? With all kinds of hair and uh, that's a very unfortunate picture there. So, <laughs> anyway, so identity, we move on, and, and, and then we, and then then maybe you go to college, and I went to college in Colorado, and so um, two things became my identity, Colorado and trucks. Uh, my first love was a pickup truck, as the song goes. Um, there's my first one, and I, be, I had this new persona, this new identity, I wasn't surfer kid anymore, I was I was mountain dude, I was pickup guy. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I love the snow and the outback and I still do, but, but this leads to some very unfortunate, um, maybe fantasy is the right word to say. So if you're in Colorado, and this, the next one's even more embarrassing, if you're in Colorado and you own a pickup truck, what's the natural progression? Here it was for me. <laughs> you're laughing too hard, Cheryl. You're laughing way too hard. So I'm looking for identity here, right? I'm looking, and in, in 1981 in Colorado, this was acceptable, okay? This this is a little corny here in Southern California in the 20th century, 21st century, but in 1981 in Colorado, that was pretty acceptable. And that was my identity, it's who I wanted to be. I wanted to be outside, I wanted to be a cowboy. Who wouldn't, right? Who wouldn't? I miss the hat. I really do miss the hat. I wish I knew where that hat went. <laughs> but then life catches up with you, and reality comes, and yeah. Then, there, then there's your family, and you go, you know, what? your identity changes because now you've made a bunch of decisions, big decisions, where you're going to live, and what you're going to do for work, and who you're going to marry, and how many kids you're going to have, and these become things that define your identity, who you are, and so you grow through that stage, and, and now we're at the stage of life where uh, the kids have moved out, and it's just the two of us, uh, pre-beard, it looks like, even there. So it's just the two of us, and so our identity changes, and you know what, I don't, I don't wanna get morbid here, but at some point, one of us is gonna be left without the other, and our identity's gonna change a little bit again, and maybe some of you have been through that already. Um, and that's a challenging thing and so our identity changes over time but who we are that's durable who we are that's the same in each one of those scenarios is the same somehow that part of us is our identity that part of us is what God is trying to get you to understand that he has made you into He has changed your identity. It's not these external things. It's not these circumstances. It's not the outside things. But he says, I have made you into something new. Look what he says here through the book of Ephesians. I know there's a lot of words up there, and I'm probably in the way of some of you. But it says you've been called a child of God. And these are all A through O listed places in the first three chapters where he tells you what you are. God has chosen you. He has redeemed you. He's forgiven your sins. He has made known to you the mystery of his will. You've been made heirs of God. He has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. He has made you alive together in Christ. He has saved you by grace. He has seated you in the heavenly places in Christ. He is working in you to prepare you to accomplish his eternal purposes. He has brought you near by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has reconciled you to God. He has given you access by the Spirit to the Father. He has made you a fellow citizen of the household of God, and he now indwells you by his Spirit. God has done so much for us. He has changed our identity. He's not just been kind to us. He's not just lavished us with Some hopes or some future inheritance, but he has changed our identity. I was talking to a young man a few weeks ago who's studying the Bible, contemplating becoming a Christian, and I was asking him how it's going, and he just shared, you know, there's so much that you have to give up. There's so much that I'm not sure I can't do. And I tried to share with him and said, look, it's not about (laughs) what you have to do. It's not about what you, get to, what you have to give up. It's who you get to be. God gets to turn you into something that you want to be, you know you want to be, but you could never be on your own. God will do that for you. He changes your identity. Let me give you a challenge just from this point. So make your list of who you are. Find your photos or just make your list. Go through your life history of who you are, who you thought you were, and compare that to who you might become, who God says you can be. I think that's a pretty exciting list. That's a pretty exciting way to look and see what we can be, what God can make us. It takes a lot of courage. Um, it took a lot of courage, believe me, to put those <laughs> pictures up on the wall. You know, um, I wasn't sure, especially the big hair one. I wasn't real fired up about that one. But, but you know what? When we look at ourselves and then we, we're secure in the content of God is going to make us and can make us and is making us into something much better, it's super encouraging. And we can live with that. And we can find the courage to face ourselves who we are and to dream and to imagine what God can do with us if we let him. Think about that. Therefore, that is the therefore. The second point, and I didn't even tell you, I don't, I don't think the title of my lesson Uh, Each and every one was the title I was given. Um, And Brian's put this series together a while back, and I love that title because it talks about um, this is all of our responsibility as Christians. We each have a responsibility. We each have an obligation to follow, to live up to, to be worthy of the calling we've been given. And I want to double back on that again. I'm not, and I just want to emphasize because a lot of us tend to think like we're not good enough right now. A lot of people do. There's a lot of pain and hurt in our world. And a lot of us have been through painful and difficult, challenging times. Things that were brought on by others and things that were self-induced. And we tend to view, we tend to walk away from those things in the end with a sense of I'm not a very good person. I'm not worth very much. I don't mean very much to anybody else. And we can get, obviously, it can go much further, much more negative. But we all can carry around. My friend in college used to call it the wretch tapes. Back when we listened to cassette tapes, the wretch tapes were just playing in your mind. You're not very good. I don't think you can do this. They're not going to accept you. They don't really love you. Maybe they say they love you, but when the chips are down, they're not going to be there for you. We carry this stuff around. And I don't want you to think that God is telling you you're not good enough. You're still a wretch. We are, right? We all know that. <laughs> but God says, look, I've, I've decided you're not. And I'm the boss. I'm the king. I get to make that decision. I've decided you're not. If you choose to follow Jesus, if you step in line, if you surrender your life, if you say Jesus is Lord If you're baptized in the water to to be raised with him, he says, I've made the decision. Your identity's changed. Who you were is erased. What you've blown is forgotten. Certainly there's consequences for some things still. We have to live with those, that's reality. But God says, you know what? I don't hold that stuff against you. You are a brand new person. And so we all have, we all have a role into responding in a way that's worthy. And so Paul spends the the next part of the chapter. Now, some of you are nervous because how far I'm in. I'm in 25 minutes and I've gotten through verse one and we're supposed to do the whole chapter, right? So believe me, the, the next part goes faster. The next part goes faster. Paul gets into this idea that we live together as a community. And Here's a theme verse for this next section. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This next section, if you go back and read Ephesians 4 through about verse 16 or so, you'll see that Paul's talking all about the community that we live in to help us live worthy lives. You know, with, when great diverse communities come together like God's kingdom is, diverse community coming together, there's, a option, there, there's the likelihood of friction, right? Right? And so he starts off and he says, you know, be completely humble and gentle and patient and, you know, bear with each other. But why does he start that way? Well, because he knows that there's friction, that when people come together, even when people who are very much alike come together, there's friction. How much more when diverse people from all over the world, no longer just the Jews, but the Gentiles are all coming in now. How are we gonna get along? Well, we have to treat each other well. Does it mean that we don't get to have any convictions about anything or any solid beliefs? Do we have to pretend like we don't know what the truth is just so we can get along? Absolutely not. He goes on to talk about all the ones that we have, the ones in Christ. He talks about one body and one spirit and one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all. These are essential truths. These are things that root us together as a community. These are not optional beliefs. This is what we have to hold dear. There, are, there is only one Lord. We don't all get to choose our, our ideas about who God is and how we get to heaven. Yeah. There's just one. It's been decided. The one who made us different told us that he's the one. And so we have to hang on to that as a truth. Now, there's a lot of details we can squabble about and argue and write papers about and all that kind of stuff. But core convictions. Jesus is the only way to God. That's what the book says. We've got to follow him. We've got to honor him. We've got to lay down our lives for him. There's just one universal church. Somehow, all of those who are saved are one body. Even though we meet in different places and call ourselves by different names, we have different cultures and different traditions in some cases, there's just one. There's one body. There's one faith. You know, how many times have you shared some of your thoughts with somebody and they said, Well, that's just the way you believe. I believe this. It's like, Well, neither of you are going to be right unless you agree with what the Bible says. There's just one faith, there's just one way. There's one baptism. There's one way to enter God's kingdom. There's one God and Father of all. There's one. And so, yes, we're diverse, and yes, God is accommodating and wants. The big reveal, the big mystery of the gospel was that now more than just the Jewish people could go to God, that the entire universe, that the entire world, all of humanity could find access to God. That was Paul's big reveal. In the first century, that was a big deal because the truth about God only came through the Jewish nation. And so now this new God, Paul is opening up this gospel. This This is the mystery. If you read further, this is the mystery that God is revealing himself to all mankind and we can all be one. And so yet we all have this one, one, one that we have to hang on to. And then he says that God has given us some to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers. And he talks about God has given us not just each other, but he's given us some order. He's given us some roles, supporting roles. Not roles to be authoritarian. Not over and under roles, but supporting roles. Why does he give apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers? To build you up. To build up the body of Christ. To build up so that we can all become mature. To help to prepare us, it says, for works of service in God's kingdom. God's given us these supporting roles. We have everyone together working. And so we have to honor these roles. You know, I know a lot of us are on this, myself included, you go through this phase where you want to be an individual. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to believe. I'm my own man. I'm making my own decisions. And part of that's good. Part of that's called growing up. Part of that's called maturing. But there's also this role where we have to respect the roles of others who are experts on some of these things in our lives we have to be able to listen to people preach the word and teach the word and go you know what you've studied it i haven't i'm going to listen to you you've studied it you've lived it you've seen what works and what doesn't i have my ideas you know we all have our great ideas until we try and put them into practice and then it's like oh not such a great idea right but we've got to respect people like that. And you know, this passage just talks about roles of leadership and kind of training and preparing and equipping, but there's others in the Bible that talk about all the roles that every one of us plays to encourage one another, to serve one another, to love one another, to build each other up. You know, even the cup of water given, right, is honored and rewarded. And we could go through, and I could look at, I mean, I love the fact that we, when we multiplied into two groups, the north and the south from the south bay we've had some people had to step in the gaps that were left by creating these new song leader positions or tech team positions or our uh, first impressions ministry kids kingdom ministry small group leaders we've had all kinds of people step into those roles who've never done those things before and that's fantastic people are stepping into finding their place and their role in god's kingdom what's your role what's your role We all have a role. You know, quickly, talking about defining yourself, your identity by the community you come from has is now treated with despair. Think about this. You know, back in Moses' day, remember what it says about Moses that he wouldn't he chose to live with his own people rather than the palace of Pharaoh. And we called that heroic. And you remember George Bailey? Remember old George Bailey? Yeah, George. George wanted to go to college. George wanted to take an opportunity on plastics or something. George wanted to get out of his tiny little town of Bedford Falls, and yet he lives there his whole life, and he's the glue that holds that town together. That's right. And we honored that. We love that about George Bailey. You know, even Dorothy. <laughs> There's no place like home, right? <laughs> Dorothy, her big dream, her big vision. And finally, she's like, you know what? Home is where it's at. So we used to honor being a part of that community. And now we don't. Now we look at those stories in despair. Oh yeah, I'm a truck driver because my dad was a truck driver and his dad was a truck driver and that's just my identity. And we we go, gee, that's horrible. Now, I'm not saying you have to be a truck driver if your dad was a truck driver, but we we gotta not be afraid to endorse this idea of our community is who we are. It's an important part of who we are, and we've got to hang on to that. And and, and we have these supporting roles, and we have these relationships with one another. And I didn't talk about this last one, this this revolutionary protocol. Verse 15 of chapter 4, it talks about we've been taught, you know, instead of the myths and the genealogies and all the other stuff we could be squabbling about, it says instead speaking the truth in love. We have this new protocol to where we're to engage each other in truth, and in love. How many organizations are you a part of that practice that? There aren't many. There aren't, frankly, there aren't a lot of churches that practice this. You know, we've had some guests come from other churches, and they're, you know, after they spend a few weeks, they're like, "You guys have something different here. You guys actually get into each other's lives. You guys actually talk to each other like you really love each other. Like it matters what the other person decides to do with their life." You really engage. And three things here. Instead, first of all, that's a key, that this is different than most groups do it. But we speak. A lot of groups you're a part of, you hear stuff, it's crazy, uh, that's a crazy dude. Yeah, whatever, I go home, I forget all about it. But here we speak to one another. We take the initiative to be in a relationship. We take the initiative to bring something up. If somebody does something that you're like, What was that? I gotta talk to him about that. We take the initiative, that's right. You're invited to do that. Now, be completely humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another in love, but that's part of what we do. We speak not not just what we feel, but we speak the truth, right? It's easy to go off on somebody about how they made you feel, and that's important. That's part of the truth, but that's not all of the truth. And so we focus on the truth. What happened? How did you see it? Here's how I saw it. Here's how it made me feel. How did it make you feel? What do we do with this mess? How do we get past all this? How do we reconcile? How do we forgive one another? How do we make some assurances that we didn't mean to do that? Or if we did, we're going to change, and we're not going to do that anymore. We speak the truth, and we do it in love. You know, the the bad rap that Christianity gets and... Probably the Jewish environment that some of the early disciples came out of, there was no real love. It was about following the rules. And yet we do this in love. Why am I talking to you? Why am I making an appointment with you? Why am I setting up lunch to to work something out? Because I love you. Because I want us to be close. Not just so I can grind my axe, but because I want us to be close because i love you this is the nature of the community that we're a part of okay third point moving on each this is where it goes from community to you because we all individually have some stuff to do you were taught the verse for this this point you were taught thank you to be made new in the attitude of your minds New in the attitude of your mind. So much, so many times they think, "Well, I'm just going to go change this," but we don't really change our minds about how we're going to change that. We don't really think about what needs, what we need to do to get from point A to point B. Paul gets into this uh, very real description of how we're to take off our old self and put on our new self, to get rid of who we were verse, uh, I think it's uh, one of the verses I didn't, I don't Oh, I do have my Bible open, thank you. Anyway, somewhere in there he says you must no longer think like the Gentiles do. Okay? Well, if you go back, you see that Paul is writing to Gentiles. Gentile, don't think like a Gentile. American, don't think like an American. Engineer, Don 't think like an engineer now I'm getting personal you know but we, we we're all affected by our culture where we came from we're all affected by what we're surrounded by and Paul says don't think like that. what does that mean? that means you've got to change the way you think. what are we supposed to think like we're supposed to have this mindset of this new humanity this new this new life this new identity that we have you know it's interesting when you When you're only in America, when you visit American churches or you listen to stuff on the internet um, about from American churches, there's this one very real understandable perspective about kind of the world view, how it all works. And then you go to another country and maybe it's a smaller developing country and there's a totally different idea about what the church is and who we are as Christians. And it's good to do that. If you haven't done that, I encourage you, try and get at least just even south of the border, you get a different perspective. Or you don't even have to go to another country. You can go to the Midwest, (laughs) which is kind of a different country than we are here in California. And uh, I didn't say better or worse, Cal. I just said different, yeah. Um, Frankly, sometimes it feels better. We traveled through Cody, Wyoming, and it was very refreshing, um, some of the different things that don't happen here there that happened here in california (laughs) but you're just like wow people live differently people think about this differently and so it helps you see this i think this way not because i'm a christian but because i'm an american or because not because i'm a christian but because i'm from southern california or because i'm wealthy or because i'm a minority or because i'm handicapped or disabled or challenged in some other way and god says no i don't want you to think that way anymore I want you to think like a new citizen of God's kingdom. What is it supposed to be? What is he trying to do? Step out of your background and your culture and your limits. He talks about the futility of thinking like a Gentile. Are Gentiles stupid? No. But you've met people with a worldview that doesn't include God, doesn't it? And everything, nothing ever really gets to hope. Everything's like, let's keep it as good as we can until it all falls apart. We all die. I'll, I'll be as wealthy as I can until I die. I'll be as successful as I can in my job until I can't do it anymore. It's all kind of fatalistic. That's the futility of the thinking like the Gentiles. We, we think Paul says thinking differently means I can tell you how to live even though I'm sitting in a jail. I know a better way to live. That's hope. That's the kind of thing that God wants us to give. Put off your old self and your new. And remember this, this is all because of who you are, who you're being called to be. Paul talks about your behavior not as how you get to heaven, but it's an expression of who you think you are. That's why behavior is important to Paul. That's why the thou shouts and the thou shalt nots are in there. Because it's an expression, it's a symptom of who you think you are. So he says, Yeah, you've got to deal with who you are on the inside first, and then you've got to modify the behavior. You know, the interesting thing about thinking like a kingdom is if you, were, if you were stealing something, we might think repentance is don't steal, stop stealing. But Paul says, No, I want you to go the extra mile. Thinking like a, uh, like a citizen of the kingdom means going the extra mile. You don't steal but you earn so you can give and share with other people. You don't tell falsehoods, lies anymore. You don't just shut up, don't say anything, but you actually speak truthfully. You go from negative past zero on into the positive. And this is, this is how we're supposed to live. This is how we're supposed to think. You don't have sinful anger anymore, but you, and you don't just squelch your anger, But you resolve your anger, and you do it before the sun goes down. Um, Unwholesome talk, or the real word is rotten talk. Think like rotting piece of fruit on your counter right now that's drawing flies and getting slimy and moldy, right? Rotten talk. Again, you don't just stop talking, but you figure out how to build people up for their benefit. Bitterness. So many people captivated by bitterness. The kingdom thinking that the, the new heaven, the, the new uh, heaven thinking is don't be bitter, and don't just get over your bitterness, but resolve it through forgiveness. Yeah. Um, slander. Okay, slander that comes easy to some of us, right? We get mad, we want to say something about somebody. Don't just bite your tongue. That's what maybe your mom would tell you. Just don't say anything. No, be kind. Go the next step figure out a way to be kind to that person, Um, your rage. And and there's a whole list there, and we can go through it. Um, But you get the idea that Paul is calling us individually, each, the each part of this is that we've got to do more than just be neutral. We've got to do more than just not sin. We've got to go past neutral to positive influence, to making a difference in the world. Okay, we need to move on. So that's, that's Ephesians 4. Amen? Amen? I'm going to steal from Ephesians 5. And don't tell Brian because he's preaching next week. And, you know, he might think, well, he won't watch until later in the week and we're all done. <laughs> but we're going, to, we're going to take communion here uh, as a community, as a group, right? This is, this is part of what we do every week. To remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. But we do it together to remind ourselves that we're in this together. Um, Ephesians 5, simply put, summarizes Ephesians 4. Verse 1, Paul says, okay, here's another therefore. Be imitators of God, therefore. That's a lot. Be imitators of God. As dearly loved children, remember who you are, and live a life of love. We just talked about all the ways that we do that. It's just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, this verse is about our motivation. Why do we do this? Why bother? Why try and live this way? It's pretty hard. It's a lot harder than being neutral. It's a lot harder than just, you know, holding out in home and not bothering with all this stuff, minding your own business. Why do we do this? Well, it's because of Jesus, of course, right? Because he gave us a life. He gave us an opportunity at this life. He came and he died and he suffered and he gave us this opportunity to be like this. When we take communion, we try and remember through, you know, taking this bread and this this cup, this juice and this cup to remind us of what he gave up in his sacrifice, but also to remind us what he came to do for us. He is the bread of life. We take this bread as the bread of life, the life-giving force that allows us to live past who we really are in in and of ourselves, but to be something like God wants us to be. Let's think about that as we take communion with our heads. We'll say a prayer. Thank you guys for your attention. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son and all that he's done for us. As we take the bread and the cup now, God, I pray that you'd help us to be just mindful and motivated, um, certainly to remember that you have, made us your children already for christians that you've given us a place in heaven that you've written our names in the book that you've sealed us with the holy spirit that we can be confident and sure of our salvation and father we also want to remember that now that we've been given that you're calling us to live a different life than we'd ordinarily live to be extraordinary people to be people who we don't think we can be but you know we can be Help us to remember, God, as we take uh, this juice in this cup, what Jesus came to do for us, not just to save us, but to make us part of your new humanity here on earth, to make a difference, to bring people to you, to give you glory. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for your love. Thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.